Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. Today, um, I want to teach or preach, especially in the seasons that we're in, that right now in human history, we are tested and tried more than I think ever before. The world has done so much in trying to heal and alleviate the challenges and troubles that befall men every day. We just survived COVID recently. Some of us have believed that we won't see it again. We have had Ebola in the country. We've heard of many things. Financially, people are struggling with so much. So some summons are very key in this season and time to understand what we must do. And uh, what the Lord impressed on my heart today is to teach about the attitude of thanksgiving. The attitude of thanksgiving. And we're going to take our reading from 1 Thessalonians, the 5th chapter, the 16th verse. And if you will open with me, I prefer to read from the Amplified Version. Verse 16 says, Be happy in your faith and rejoice and be glad-hearted continually, O always. Be happy in your faith and rejoice and be glad-hearted, glad-hearted continually, always. So somebody will ask and say, how is that even possible for somebody to be continually glad-hearted, to rejoice always? How is that possible? with a challenge I'm going through in my marriage right now, how is that possible? With the news that I received from the doctor last week or last year, how is that possible? With a challenge that I'm dealing concerning my son, how is that possible? We just lost somebody in the house recently. Somebody will say, how is that possible? I was fired from my job, how is that possible? The landlord chased me out of their house, how is that possible? My fiance has not called me for months, how is that? Yeah. ETC. You see, number one, God would not ask you or command you to do something he does not know that you can do. You understand? He cannot tell you to do something he knows, okay, you cannot do. I think that's better to say. But how then do we keep this happy in our faith in spite of all the tests and trials that we go through in our lifetime. Simple. Because that's just how faith works. It's the right attitude to activate your faith. And if you think about it deeply, if you go to God and you are asking for a car or a house you're tired of renting and you assure that what you have asked for, he has given you. How is that kind of heart supposed to respond? With gladness, rejoicing, with joy and thanksgiving. Because it is the representation of your faith in God. Do you agree? If you come asking me for something that you know that I will give you, you cannot come sullen and sunken because you know that I will give it to you. Now let's go to the place of God. You see, you can't say that you believe God to give you something and you are unhappy and sad. That's why it says that your faith should be with rejoicing and glad-heartedness. Because you believe whatsoever you ask. The Bible says, believe that you have received it, then you shall have whatsoever you have asked. You have to believe that you have received it. Then you shall have whatsoever you ask. But the heart that believes that it has received it comes with joy in spite of all that has tried you or tested you. Do you agree? 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Years ago, I think I shared something concerning a challenge that I had that came with so many questions. I'm a tither, I'm a giver, build churches, help many families, paying fees, doing all of that, right from my university days. And I remember I shared a time a story where I was stuck financially and frustrated that I was not seeing the finances that I think I ought to have by reason of what the Word of God has said and the principles that I personally have applied myself to in the Word of God. Has somebody ever been there? Yes. This kind of frustration is not for somebody who once in a while is obedient and once in a while is not. I'm talking about somebody who has given themselves over to obey God, but they still don't see the results of that obedience. You see? Now, this also can be a very relative thing to define because what satisfies one might be different from what satisfies another. Years ago, I had a wonderful friend of mine who said, if God can give me 300,000 shillings, my life can change forever. There are people, if they have 300,000 shillings, their life can change forever. So if you're that kind of person, maybe you're not the one I'm talking. Oh, maybe I'm talking to you from your expectation. Let's talk from there. That if you get 300,000, your life will what? Yeah, there are people like that. So satisfaction is relative. Either from a place of lust and selfish ambition, or from a place of mandate or assignment, divine mandate or assignment. There's purpose there. You see? For example, there's somebody earning a million dollars a year, but they need more because of what they're doing in the kingdom of God. It's just not enough. And so they become restless because they've not received more than that money. And then there's somebody receiving maybe $300,000 a year. They even cry in their car when they're going back home. God, you chose me? all of this for me because maybe their vision and service toward God is myopic. It is small. So again, that's relative. And so there's a probability that probably where you are, somebody admires to be, even though you might personally not be satisfied about. There's somebody in the world who, if they're in their place, they can even say, now why would you cry? Why are you crying? Uh-uh, what? Now, if you're crying, what of us? What should we be doing? because they mean to say that you are in a far better and advantaged position than many of us. And that's okay. That's just how the world will be, depending on the vision of God that we have in life. However, it still doesn't change the reality or the fact that if somebody is conscious that they were called to lend to nations, they would become very uncomfortable, even if they have a $100 million debt even if they can be lent $100 million, even if they have $2 or $3 million in their account, but they can see that Deuteronomy 28.12 has already set where God expects them. You shall lend unto many nations, and thou shalt not borrow. It disturbs you. Who has understood it? It disturbs you. So you become restless, not because you are not grateful for what God has done, but because you believe God has called you for more. That is why I was. So I was not really poor, per se, but I was disturbed. And I remember sharing in one of those sermons, the Lord brings this wonderful portion of scripture to me and leads me to study it. And it says, if you be willing and obedient, you shall eat of the good of the land. And I had confused my obedience with willingness because by the translation from such a liturgic language of Hebrew or Mike or Greek, into my English, which is far an inferior language and can be of some sort pragmatic in interpretation compared to the original language. I realized that the word willing there was as though it was just saying that you just want it and then you obey to will. But really the literal word there from root willing means to agree with God to yield to God. And in agreement with God or yielding with God, there's that other thing you're supposed to do. One, you are supposed to create 
images of the world for which you believe God for. That's agreement. You are supposed to speak of that world as the images you have created. That's still in the world of creation. You see? That's willingness. So the image you carry, the world you create, the things you speak forth, and number three, and most importantly, that you'll align your emotions to that created image and the words that you speak. That's a willing spirit. I was obedient because I was doing the tithes, I'm doing the first fruits, I'm doing everything the word requires. I'm a giver above and beyond. But I was not a willing person because I had not aligned my expectation of prayer to the vision. I was creating in my mind. The vision I was creating in my mind was contrary to my expectation in prayer. My speech was contrary. My emotions were contrary. And therefore, by God, I was not willing. Let me explain this. Now, let me give an example. If I am believing God again for that car that I wanted, I must create the image of that car in my spirit as I claim the word of God for the provision of that car. I must create that image. And as I'm creating that image, because it takes that for me to create what I must see by God, then it means my prayer must become specific. Otherwise, if you're the one kind of person asking for a prayer, but in your head, any prayer, then you have not yet understood how you ought to pray. Do you understand? There's a of God, a man, any grandchildren, any brown, any poor, Lord, I, any, you understand? As long as it's what? Born again. Just bring in the Lord. anti dispersy. You see, that's the wrong way to pray. So let's go back to the car because I can't define your test. If you're looking for a spouse, so you start defining it and they say, okay, I want this kind of car. What kind of seats will I want? What kind of, you know, color do I want? Which model do I want? Which year? Then you create the reality, the vision of that world. And then you find yourself speaking, muttering, thank you, Lord, because I have this car. And then you attach your emotion to that vision and start to feel as one who has it. How do you feel when you have it? Aha, uh -huh. that feeling. It's called holy emotion. You invite it into your world. That is called creating. Even God, when he was creating in Genesis chapter 1, the emotion came and he saw that it was God. You see, that emotion had to captivate. I mean, he would have been indifferent and afar from the feeling and emotion of his, you know, creations. But everything he was creating, there was that, it's good. You have to carry that emotion. Now the absence of that vision, the absence of that emotion, and the speaking forth with thanksgiving as one which has received it, it doesn't matter how many prayers you pray, which mountain, which prophet, which intercessor, which apostle, it won't work. And it doesn't matter how much you tithe and give. That's obedience, important. But the pendulum is obedience and willingness. Willingness and obedience. Do both, it will change your world. Do both, it will change your world. Now, do you see how from that perspective of thought and language, now I would come to Thessalonians and you appreciate why God says, be happy in your faith and rejoice and be glad-hearted continually, your race. He's saying, arrest your emotions to agree with the image of what you believe to see in God when you choose to believe him. Did you understand that? You can't come and say, I believe in God for healing. Also. Okay, so are we going to pray? Yes, let's pray. But do you have faith? hundred percent, I'm walking back home. If I don't have time to explain it, I'll just pray to fulfill all righteousness. But those things usually don't work. Most of the time don't work. Because you cannot believe God and weep because it's a sign of unbelief. You remember even when Lazarus died? The Bible says Jesus what? Wept. And after weeping, he says, where have you laid him? He didn't go, take me to Lazarus. No, he first wept. 
And after weeping, cleaned his eyes and says, where is he? When he goes to the grave, there are no tears. Glory to God. You can't mix your emotions negative when you're believing God. You have to choose. You have to choose. You can't come with a broken face and heart and say you're believing God. No, 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 no. Why? Because if you expect to receive what you're asking for, how then can you be sad? Did you see that that's contradictory? That's not just the way of the Spirit. If you say you believe, it must work. It must work. Somebody shout hallelujah. That is why in verse 17, 1 Thessalonians, again as we're reading, he says, be unceasing in prayer, praying perseveringly. You see, which has come first? Which came first? Yes, the rejoicing, the gladness of heart, your heart in your spirit, your joying. And then after that joying, then you enter prayer. You see, don't enter prayer with a sad countenance. No, no. If you want to pray and get results in prayer, first deal with your emotion. And then when you deal with your emotion, now go into prayer. Some of you feel, ah! you're falling frustrated before God. Ah! You cry for two hours. Ah! And then you say, I'm praying. No, no, that's not prayer. Come boldly to the throne of grace. <laughs> Hallelujah. That you make what? Obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. How are you going to obtain mercy? By coming boldly, not weak and broken. When you come, and you come into the prison, God is like, no, first finish crying. After crying, do this. Put some little makeup. <laughs> Father, in the name of Jesus. <laughs> boldly so that you might receive what? Mercy. Because God says now she understands that she's come for an answer. She has not come for a conversation only. She has come for an answer. She has not come just to feel good. She has come for an answer. Glory to God. Verses 18. Thank God in everything, no matter what the circumstances may be, be thankful and give thanks. For this is the will of God for you who are in Christ Jesus, the revealer and mediator of that will. That's why I wanted to really lay my emphasis in the minutes that I have with you today. That's one portion of scripture many Christians misunderstand. Number one, when he says give thanks, thanks in everything, no matter what the circumstances may be, to be thankful and give thanks. That's supposed to be the attitude of every person who believes in God. You must have an attitude of thanksgiving. Don't apply thanksgiving only when you're stuck. Don't apply thanksgiving only when you're troubled. In every circumstance of your life, your lips should be filled with thanksgiving. And the Bible says, for this is the will of God concerning your life. Now, why is this important? Because I've seen many Christians misinterpret this portion of scripture. In fact, if you read it, that in KJV, he says, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. If you notice that first sentence, in everything give thanks, there's a full column. That full column explains that whatever is coming next in this narrative, English grammar, is sort of an explanation or the mind of what has come before, the mindset behind what has come before. You see what I'm saying? Or as a result of what has come before. I think that's better to say. Now, in everything give thanks, full column, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. In other words, in whatever happens in your life, first thank God. God intends that that should be the attitude you carry when you come to him. Now here is how many people interpret this. Many people interpret it as though to say that in everything give thanks for it is the will of God for you to be in that issue or that challenge or that circumstance or that test or that sickness or that trouble. So they tend to assume 
that thank God because you have lost your job because it's the will of God for you to lose that job. That's a wrong interpretation of scripture. That's how many religions interpret God. That's how many religions interpret God. Some of you who are Muslim, I went to a Muslim school, studied some Arabic and read and I've read the Quran. I have even a version of that in my office. Many of you which were Muslims, you used to have a word called Alhamdulillah. Who remembers that word? Alhamdulillah. What does Alhamdulillah mean? Praise God. Thank God. Alhamdulillah. And in Islamic teaching, because I studied Islam, they used to say, when you get a job, Alhamdulillah. When you get a wife, Alhamdulillah. When you fall sick, Alhamdulillah. Now, in translation, Allah brought it. And there's a reason why Allah brought it your way. You see? When you lose this, Alhamdulillah. Because Allah brought it. And that's how many Christians think. Everything for them is Alhamdulillah. <laughs> you understand? So, if Allah brought the sickness, there's no point of you asking him to heal you. He will choose whether he heals you or not. Alhamdulillah. If you die, Alhamdulillah. If you live, Alhamdulillah. So what you do, just go to the doctor, let them treat you and try whatever they can, but if things fail, Alhamdulillah. You see what I'm saying? This is the secret of the new birth that he has made known unto us the mystery of his will. That's what the Bible says in Ephesians 1, 9. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he has purposed in himself. Now, new creation is not supposed to seek the will of God. New creation knows the will of God. No. But you see, you find yourself sometimes seeking God and his will, whether this is the woman you should marry, this is the man you should marry, this is the job you should take. You know why? Because you have not yet matured into the mind of the spirit. Do you understand what I'm saying? You've not yet matured into the mind of the spirit. True maturity of spirit, the Bible says, this unction from on high in you should know all things. Hallelujah. In fact, in John, he says, we know. He didn't say you should, you may. He says, we know all things. We have an unction from on high and we know all things. But apostle, I don't know. Your mind doesn't. And your spiritual man knows. So the more you kill the man of the flesh and align yourself to the will of the spirit, that man of the spirit is awakened and aligned to carry the knowledge of things that you might not be able to explain to somebody, but you know them. That's the revelation of the mystery of his will. For example, healing. Is it the will of God for you to walk in divine health? Yes or no? Yes. Is that subject to what you have done or what you have not done? No. But how many people think that they are healthy because of what they did and they're unhealthy because of what they did not do? And I've seen that as a man of God and in discerning these things, my heart has broken when I see how people don't know how God thinks, the way of the Spirit. Somebody comes and says, you know, pray for this child. They were born with HIV. But they're not telling me that so they can tell me the chronological order of how, you know, this child has carried this sickness and the pain they've gone through. But they're rather trying to tell me that it's not their fault. That's what they're trying to tell me. I can read it, that it's not their fault that this child was born with an incurable disease. It was just given them. So by that, then they deserve more right to be healed than the person who went out and got it. That is a wrong interpretation of God and the way he heals. Uh -uh. Have you ever noticed, many of you, especially on healing meetings, crusades and stuff. Somebody, you pray for a person and they put up their clutches and they start walking, praise God, they testify. And then you make an altar call and the same person walks in front. That means the man who has received that miracle is not even born again. Did they deserve the healing? Why? If they're not born again. You get it? 
Because when it comes to the healing ministry of God, it is not based on what you have done. It is based on whether you are able to receive and believe the message or not. Galatians tells us, he that ministereth the Spirit and works wonders in you, he says, does he do it by your obedience or working of the law or because of your believing in and adhering to and trusting in and relying on the message that you have heard? As Galatians 3, 5, he's asking you, when God now says, I'm going to heal you of this cancer, of this disease in your body, or whatever pain is in you, do I do it because you are obeying the demands of the law or you have believed the message that has been preached that day? And the answer is because you believed the message. So a non-believer can walk into this building right now and I can teach healing and he can take it. And then there's this believer who has been sick for 20, 15 years, 30 years, and they have disqualified themselves from that healing, knowingly or not knowingly, again through the ignorance in them concerning the ways of the Spirit, and they think they deserve this sickness, maybe because they brought it to themselves. And so they disqualify themselves from, you know, the good that God has given them because they were never taught how God works. That is why you see that sometimes people who have even been two, three or two days in church receive miracles. And then you have those people who have been in the church for years and they don't seem to touch the promises of God. Because if you go to the core of your life, you are still justified through works and not through faith. If you examine yourselves. Oh, I messed up. I don't think I deserve a good husband. Apostle, I messed up. What about those ones? who married as virgins and got the wrong kind. They married a frog. <laughs> what did they do? What did they do? So if they don't have to do anything to marry a frog, neither should you do anything to marry a prince. <laughs> I think only believe. Because faith does not disqualify you based on performance. Faith qualifies you because all you need to do is to believe. Only believe and you shall see the salvation of the Lord. Tap your neighbor and tell them, only believe. Are we following what I'm saying? So we have many people who think like that. You've disqualified yourself from the job because you think like that. And then you see even wicked people thrive and prosper because they don't judge themselves against those things. But you still carry that judgment which Christ carried through the blood he shed at Calvary. But you still carry something that you did in 2012. It's still here. And every time you go back, you think that you're disqualified from the work and goodness of God. Wow. You have a long journey. You have a long journey. Anybody who is able to believe God will receive what the word of God says. Somebody shout hallelujah. Shout glory to God. That is why in Romans he says, because of that indifference, he says, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Who? You people, men are without excuse. He says, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God in to an image made like unto corruptible man, to birds and to four-footed beasts and creeping things. What does that mean? He means everything that should be known of God has been revealed to them, to you and in you because you're a believer. We know that by faith, the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen with your physical eye were not brought about by things which do appear. You agree that everything physically came from the world that you do not see. That's what I was explaining earlier when I spoke about the creative world and the manifesting world. In there is the law of translation. You understand what I'm saying? You must know how that law works. How to shift things from the world which is not seen to the world which is seen. Because they've already been given to you in Christ Jesus. You've been given 
everything that pertains to life and godliness. You have been blessed, the Bible says, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Anything spiritual has been given to you. Husband, spiritually he exists. Job, spiritually he exists. Marriage, spiritually he exists. Ministry, spiritually he exists. Healing, everything spiritually exists. Now I just need to know how to get that which is in the spirit into the world which is seen by the law of translation. Are you following? Now God is telling us that everything that has been invisible from the creation of the world is now clearly seen. Even though Godhead is a revelation to you because you are a new creation. You're born of the spiritual, pneumaticos, not of the natural. The first man was natural which was the fallen nature, the man of the flesh, which you were in the flesh. Now, the second man is spiritual. That which is born again, you. You are spirit. So you discern the things that are spiritual. The Bible says the natural man cannot receive neither discern the things of the spirit, for they are spiritually designed. But you which is spiritual, you can discern and estimate and fully approve and understand the things which are spiritual. That is why the will of God is a revelation to you. Because your love has grown in all what? Knowledge and judgment. Therefore, the Bible says you are able to prove the things which are more excellent that you might not have offense on the day of Christ. You can prove and know this is right, this is wrong. Why? Because all knowledge and judgment is in you. You are a new creation, born of the Word of God, not born of the corruptible seed, but born of the incorruptible seed, which is the Word of God in living and abiding forever. When you became born again, you were born of the Word. The Word of God in you knows and sees all things. He's a double-edged sword. He's a designer of the hearts and thoughts. For all things, the Bible says, are naked before Him. Nothing is hidden before Him. Who? The Word. And that Word, is inside you. So the Word of God in you sees all things. You might not be able to see that physically, but spiritually, that is a truth. Even to dare to believe that you know already propels you into the graces that you must function into. Just to believe that you know all things. Father, I know all things. I know that this is what it's supposed to be. I know all things. I thank you because I know all things. As you continue to do that, God aligns the physical man to agree with the spiritual experience such that you are without offense. The judgments of God are a revelation to you because you are in that image. You're conformed. You're conformed. The true pattern of maturation, transformation and transmutation, what's really the difference? The Word of God transforms you. But the maturity of the Spirit is the transmutation, the place where as you continue to grow, certain things are so founded in your nature and defined distinctively that you cannot go back again in a certain state. That's transmutation. To get to a point and say, okay, I am learning about healing and I've learned how healing works, but then I fall sick the next day and then I go back and listen to Apostle Grace's Word and then I'm healed. And then one day it clicks on how to maintain divine health and you never fall again. That's a man who has transmutated. They can never go back to that state again. That man is no longer believing for healing. He is in divine health. I'll teach about it fully one day. Because that's the true mark of maturity. It's the true mark of maturity. Are you learning some? Now let's go back to what I was saying. Now, they are without excuse. They ought to know. They ought to see and understand how God works. Everything invisible is revealed to their spirit. But because some of you don't even have a prayer life, you don't even read the word, you even listen to the wrong teachers, so you have a very confused image of who God is and now you have corrupted the image of the incorruptible God and now he's like these gods men have on their buildings these men who worship creeping things like snakes people who worship little small birds and animals as though they are their gods because those are the guys who don't expect much from their gods we expect answers from him and how do you know the Bible says they did not glorify him nor honor him as God nor gave thanks so thanksgiving is not just, oh, no, it's a good attitude to have. No, it's the justification of the true revelation of the God you're relating with. 
When you can learn to give thanks in everything, that means you are talking of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Many of you have a very wrong image of God. That is why you go there begging, you go in the presence as a victim, you go in the presence as a survivor. God, if you don't help me, I will die. How do you even go? That's offensive to the Spirit of Christ. Who told you I was going to let you die? You see, fundamental question. That's exactly the true vision of a fallen man. The optics are carnal. Who told you, Adam, that you were naked? Who told you that it's not going to work? Okay, you can't believe for healing. Who told you you're not going to work? Or oh, the scientists say that this kind of disease cannot be healed. Ah, okay. So you are exalting the word of your scientist above Jehovah? Ah, no, no, they say it because in this government, they say this cannot be reversed. Ah, that's the government. Are you exalting the word of your leader in the government above the word of your God? Are you following what I'm saying? When they knew him as God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful. That means when a man knows that they're dealing with God and they ought to glorify him as God, they'll always find themselves giving thanks in every circumstance. And this is why. The difference between you and my Muslim brother who says, Alhamdulillah in everything, is that you carry the understanding that God tempteth no man, neither is he tempted by evil. He is not tempted to do you evil, neither can he tempt you to do evil. He can let it happen to you, but he doesn't cause it because he is not the causer of evil. He comes to do you good. The Bible says he's the father of lights from whom all good comes. There is no variableness in him. All good and perfect gifts come from the Father in heaven. God has never aimed from heaven to bring you sickness and calamity. Not for the new creature. It could happen in the Old Testament, but even in the Old Testament, he could let it. It was not him to do it. God does not tempt any man with evil and cannot be tempted by Satan to do you bad. James 1.13. Do you understand what I'm saying? God can't just say, let me bring you sickness. Let me give you sickness such that you learn a lesson. No, he can let the devil do that, but he doesn't do that. He cannot harm his own image. Like no parent can just say, let me kill my child. In their sober mind, you can't just destroy your child if you're a parent. Now, if you can love your child so much and yet God created even that emotion that you have in your head, what would make you think that he would become so indifferent and callous to do such a thing, yet even you, in your fallen nature, you cannot harm your own child. Dada, you see what I'm saying? So, but some of you were taught, eh, God is going to do this to you. Is he going to do this to you? And if he does this, he will do this to you. And so you come in the presence of God, not sure whether you're actually asking for an answer or he's the one who's doing this to you. <laughs> Are you following what I'm saying? They knew him not as God. They did not understand him as God. And so they don't live and function from a place of thanksgiving. That's why in their prayer, they are not willing, they are not yielded in mind. Their emotions are displaced and indifferent to their direction of need. And so even in believing, they are actually in unbelief, double-minded. Bible says a double-minded man should not expect to receive anything from God. He's double-minded. You are asking for healing, but you think maybe God is the one wanting to kill you. You're asking for a child, but you think maybe God is the one who made you barren. No, so how, how does that work? You see what I'm saying? You cannot have both worlds. You must choose. And oh yes, things are going to come our way. We're going to be tested. Why? because it is the way of God to test the quality of your faith. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12. If you read from the Amplified Version. Beloved, do not be amazed and bewildered at the fairy ordeal which is taking place to test your quality. But some of you, you rush quickly. Who is bewitching me? Who? Prophet, tell me. Those things have no bearing on a new creature. If I can tell you how much witchcraft we burn, if witchcraft used to work, some of us would be dead long ago. I ban witchcraft. <laughs> you see this balokole here? In the evenings, they bring those things to me, and then I take them and burn them somewhere where nobody sees. I burn things every day. 
We've burned shrines, small things, bugs. We burn things every day because they have no consequence. So why is it that their judges have never come on us? Yeah. So why is it that there's a man in the same world who burns the same things that can kill your children? What's the difference between him and you? He's a believer. Yeah. But some of you, oh, I'm rejected. Oh, what is happening? I burnt my shirt. This is a kaula. This is a kaula. Kaula, leave me. Leave me, kaula. Leave me. Leave me. They stole all my money, apostle. This is dungu. Dungu mvako. Some of you, you, you love hearing what every demon in the world does, and you call that truth. One time I had a man teaching about it. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Then he started explaining demons. Then I know. Demons are not truth. Neither what they do. Truth is in the word of God. Truth is in the word of God. So don't be bewildered. Oh, some strange thing has taken place, an unusual and alien to you, you know. No, 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 no. God can allow somebody to do witchcraft on you, to test your quality of faith. He can allow it, and they go to a witch doctor. I know there are church members here. They confessed to me. They went to a witch, and the witch asked them, do you come from Fanelo? <laughs> the sorcerer. And they said, yes. Then they said, we don't work on that man's people. Now, if you are fallen, you could think that I'm a witch doctor. No. I made a prayer in Ngamba. God, if any funeral member ever enters a shrine, let the shrine deny them. If they ever go to a witch doctor, let the witch doctor deny them and say, ah, touch not the Lord's anointed. Shout fire! They took me to a mad girl. She saw me from afar. I said, that is Apostle Grace. That is Apostle Grace. The demons started screaming, that is Apostle Grace. They knew, they knew, they knew we had come. We had come. We had come. And you see, let me tell you something. Let me give you a warning. If a demon ever identifies you and say you are good, you're a man of God. If a demon ever identifies you and it's on somebody, that is the time to demonstrate. Listen. That's the time to demonstrate the liberty of the spirit. Because the moment you can approach a demon and the demon can recognize you on a person. Mama, 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 mama. Even if you do like this. It will flee. So when I reach, he says, that is a pastor. He's a man of God. I says, ah, so you know me. We know you, we know you, you know you. What do you want from us? What have we done to you? I said, shh. I will never forget a day I went in a meeting. A demon screamed from there and said, even here you found us. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Do you know what I did? I usually don't want to make demons talk, but this one I was curious. I went to the woman, I said, who were you in at first? I was curious, where did we first meet? <laughs> Who were you in that I rebuked you out? Because some of you are funny. It leaves one person somewhere in Kasanga to a deliverance service, and then it finds you in Maundwe Mitiana. Mm -mm, somebody say fire. No, demons should not enter you and go out as they please. No, 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 no. You are the temple of the living God. The light of God is in your spirit. You cannot be possessed in Jesus' name. Glory to God. So he tells you, don't say, oh, now why me? No, why not you? God needs to test you. He needs to test you. He needs to test you. The Bible says, but in so far as you are sharing Christ's sufferings, what does he say? He says, rejoice so that when his glory, full of radiance and splendor is revealed, you may also rejoice with triumph exultancy. Rejoice. Yeah, they are sending witchcraft. Just clap and say, thank you, Jesus. Because your glory is going to be revealed in this.
That's the attitude. Thank you, Lord, because this person has said, there are people who started fighting me and I started thanking God because I know eventually. They're the ones one day who are going to tell others, leave that man alone. I, I don't weep over them. I don't know why me, Lord, why did this guy do this? Ah, 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 brother. They write their things, do their videos, and I go get myself a plate of pork and some rice and some avocado on the side. Ah, glory to God. And then I rejoice. It's not strange. God is testing my faith. No, I'm not those things they've said. No, God is just testing my quality. Am I a man of God? Am I an apostle? He's allowed it, and I know it. So I don't say, oh, no, I don't lose my peace and appetite. When I just gotten born again, why? No, those earlier years, the first few years of starting ministry, I used to weep. But now those things don't scare me. You can write a dozier. An apostle grace. And believe me, I'm going to go back home and sleep. Ask my wife. I sleep. What? No. No, no, no. But some of you, somebody just needs to tell you, Gwai! Ah! Then you get panic attacks. I pass, I can't sleep. Why? They warned me. No. When they say, Gwai! You also say, Gwai! Come on. Come on, somebody. Yeah, persecution will come. Luke chapter 6, verses 22 in the Amplified. He says, blessed or blessed, depending on where you are raised, or happy with life, joy, satisfaction in God's favor and salvation apart from your outward condition, to be and to be envied. Are you when people despise, hate you? You see what I'm saying? You are a blessed person. If somebody just wakes up and they say, I hate you, count your blessing. The Bible says that God's favor and salvation is on your life. Because without that, a man just can't wake up and hate you. Do you know there are people who hate me for nothing? And they also now have started to hate you. You've never done anything to them. They don't even know your name, but they what? No, you are blessed. You are blessed. If you're hated by men, the Bible says to be envied are you. That means Satan from hell envies you. He recognizes the favor of God on your life. He recognizes the serving faith of God operating on you. In spite of, the Bible says, your outward condition, regardless of what people are interpreting it to be. So yeah, even if they think you're a thief, it doesn't mean that you are. It doesn't change that you're favored by God. You should understand how God works. Somebody shout amen. amen. So he spoke of men who are despised and hated when they exclude and excommunicate you as disreputable and revile and denounce you and defame and cast out and spurn your name as evil, wicked on account of the Son of Man. It happens. It happens. One guy woke up and sold a story that I have snakes in my car, my office and my living room. There were three. They're big. So I imagine my daughter... <laughs> Sitting on my snake. And instead of being angry at them, I laughed at the thought. That's why I left it. I didn't go further. It became a movie in my head. I imagined my wife bypassing like a snake. Hello. Then she goes to make me tea. <laughs> but some of you, if they say that, how can they say that? Fire, force, come from heaven. No. Let me tell you, some of us love where we are. Because there was a time people met us and reminded themselves of our names seven times. Hey, hey. Somebody finds you and says, suppose you are, what did you say your name was? How are you? And then he finds you the next week and says, forget your name. Remind me you are who? Grace. And then the third time again he finds you. That boy, dark one. Grace. But when you get to a point where somebody cannot only know your name but they can spell it. They even know the third one which you don't mention. Eh. The Bible says, listen, the Bible says 
1 Peter 4.14. He says, if you are abused because of Christ, count yourself what? Fortunate. For it's the what? The Spirit of God and His glory in you that brought you to the notice of others. Some of you, you're in the newspapers because there is something on your life. Oh! You're on other men's tables because there is something on your life. You're being discussed in certain offices and it's negative, but at least they are mentioning it. How many madmen have you found on the streets and you don't know their name? You have a madman who passes your home every day, but you've never cared to know his name. Because Satan doesn't invest in those ones. No man can throw stones on a tree without fruit. Hey, when they are looking for children to sacrifice, they don't sacrifice street children. You've never heard that six street children were trafficked. Those ones who have sleeping jerry, who you put Samona on and imperial leather, those are the ones the devil wants. Why? Because there's something to them. Am I communicating to somebody? But you're there annoyed because they're talking about you. Who should they talk about? It's a beautiful thing for a person to talk about you when you can't talk about them. Don't you think so? So who is noticing the other? Come on, help me. Who is noticing the other? Hey, there are men I've never spoken. I don't talk their church. I don't talk their name because they're not in my notice list. But I'm in theirs. Hallelujah. Hey, if a man can sit down and write 75 pages of you, Panange, who are you? Muchamani wa Paulo Matovu, who are you? There was a time we could pass and they didn't even know you had passed because some of us were too brown that you might not see us. Let them talk. Tell your neighbor, let them talk. Hey, good or bad, as long as you know who you are. Yes, and let me prophesy upon you. Some of you, you are about to be noticed. For good and for bad, they are going to notice you. And it's okay whether bad or good, as long as you know you're right before God. May you be noticed in Jesus' name. May men meet you and they remember your name. May they pray and remember your name. May they give and remember your name. May they dream and remember your name. May they plan and remember your name. Now go anywhere in this country. Someone knows me. Mm. Someone knows me. They must know me. Yeah. Glory to God. They must know you. Hey. I'm on televisions, but I don't go to their stations. I'm on newspapers, but I don't talk to their reporters. What does that tell you? Glory. Glory. Oh, why does my boss hate me? Of course, they noticed something. You don't have a demon on you. No, they noticed something. They know you're a threat. They know what you can become. They sense it. They just don't know how to deal. You know, cognitive dissonance. They don't know how to deal with what's on your life. If you are doing this right, if you know that your conscience is clear. I'm not talking about some of you who mess up and then people pursue you. Ah, if you're in the wrong, you have your own demons. You need deliverance. Praise the Lord. But it tells you in verses 23, when all of that happens, rejoice and be glad at such a time and exult and leap for joy. Leap for joy, he says. For behold, your reward is rich and great and strong and intense and abundant in heaven. For even their forefathers treated they, those prophets. Oh, 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 oh. Great, strong, intense and abundant. So some of you, instead of looking at what God has prepared for you, I will never forget the day I knew that I was changed, transmuted. A man woke up and said that he saw me in hell. And I remember that day I went to God and I said, what are you planning to do? What are you setting me up for? Mukama, I know you're setting up something. If you can allow a man to say that, and I started clapping. Do you understand what I'm saying? God has set me up. I know. Watch me. Just watch me. Some of you are going to learn by watching us. 
what, what God is going to do. Because if you get to a point even where the devil can admire to identify with you, then he knows there's something on you. Do you understand what I'm saying? So maybe that's how I see it. I don't get annoyed, no. I thank God that he can also want me to be his. You understand? Hey, why doesn't he look for the madmen on the streets? He must be valid. Why do you think he went to deal with Jesus? Why do you think he could offer kingdoms? Because he wanted Jesus to identify with him. Yes. There's something on Jesus that the devil wanted to be in his kingdom. Beelzebub. Why do you think they called him Beelzebub? Satan wanted him. Some of you, the devil wants you. Because when he sees what's on your life, he imagines what it can do in his kingdom. Hatana, don't become annoyed, why me? No, why not you? I told people, who can look at Fanero and not become envious? Who? And they're from hell? No, even if I was the devil, I would do the same. <laughs> Glory to God. But God is up to something. You watch. You watch us. Five, three hours to come for you. Watch. 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 So we're on a journey rejoicing every day. Why? Because I know it's not true. Psalms come. In that accent, Psalms come. Glory to God. Because I read the Bible and I realized that's how the people of old were. Men who understood these truths lived. In Hebrews, he speaks of men and testifies of them. Chapter 10, verses 34. He says, you sympathized and suffered along with those that were in prison and you bought cheerfully the plundering of your belongings and the confiscation of your properties and the knowledge and consciousness that yourselves had a better and lasting possession. These guys, people would rob them and they smile while they are robbing them. So we are taking you. Chair now. They say, can I even help you carry it in the car? Why? Because the chair is not my inheritance. Land is not my inheritance. No. God is. He's the portion of my cup. Do you understand what I'm saying? Money, you take money, you take it. It ain't take away my joy. The Bible says they were cheerfully <laughs> receiving those that came to plunder and confiscate their stuff. They were happy men. They were free. Yeah. If you want to take it, you take and then after that, they go out, you put on a YouTube song and start dancing because that's the attitude. That's a grateful heart. That's a heart full of gratitude. And the verse down here says, do not therefore fling away your fearless confidence for it carries a great and glorious compensation of reward. It was enough for it to just be great, but he says it also carries a glorious compensation. Things will turn out for your good. Eventually, you will end where you're supposed to end. Things will align and calibrate. It doesn't matter how bad the news is. Just hang on God and wait. It doesn't matter how irreversible this disease could look like. Stay with thanksgiving. It doesn't matter how bad your marriage looks like. Just stay with thanksgiving. It doesn't matter how bad your child is in drugs. Uh, your boy is sold in weed. You've tried and failed. Don't worry. Keep the attitude of thanksgiving. Rejoice cheerfully and let your faith come with joy. Always and continually. Let them say, this woman is always happy in spite of it all. Yes, even on funerals, smile. Tell them, you're welcome, guys. Good to see you. Hey, sorry, it's okay. All things are working together for my good because I love the Lord and I'm called according to his purposes. When you go into the presence of God with that mark, God will turn the untenable. He will change the unchangeable. A while ago, I told a story. This lady lost her child. And she had spent close to about three years. Her tubes were tied because her and her husband had made up they'll never have children again. From Bali. They're leaders in the fellowship there. So this woman comes. She had lost her child. She was looking for answers. They came looking for me at night. And they phoned me at the petrol station. It was night. So I laid hands on this woman. I could feel the pain of a mother who had lost her child. She was grieving and broken. And then I felt the spirit in there of God tell me, I've done this before, I can do it again, Grace. I can bring back her child in another body. Because what Satan has stolen, he has stolen the body, not the soul. It has happened before. 
I once prayed for a woman who had one child in the womb and the second one appeared. I know it. I've been there. So I told this woman, God is going to bring back your child in another body. What the devil stole was the body, not the soul. Hey, Apostle, where do you get that? Well, with God, all things are possible. I don't know the God. You, some of you have a very corrupted image of God. You limit his work. I don't. Yeah, I'm crazy. I'm crazy. Anything that you say can be done, it must be done. Even that which you say can't be done, I believe it can be done. Because with him, all things are possible. So I said, God is going to bring back your child. You're going to conceive that child back in another body. So this woman looks at me with this eye of... She looks down. Why? Because for three years, her tubes were tied. It's practically impossible to conceive. And she has been like that for three years. My God. Oh. Two months, three months later, the husband calls. The woman is pregnant. The very womb that they had tied, God entered inside there and started removing everything, clearing the tubes, washing it and saying, because the word has come, what has been stopped by man, I can reverse. Last year, I carried that child with my very own hands. You've seen God do things. I'll never forget, I told people, there's a lady who came from Kenya. She had fibroids and she was slated for an operation. She said, no surgeon is going to touch my stomach. She came bleeding through the bus. She bled so badly that the bus people were concerned. They cleaned the floor of the bus with blood. She comes into the meeting. Some of you remember that story. And when I was praying for the sick, the power of God went through this woman and removed everything called a fibroid in her body. She goes back to Kenya and they put her in a machine. And the doctor asked her, where did your fibroids go? And she said, there is a man in Uganda. <laughs> there is a man somewhere in Kampala. <laughs> he took them out by prayer. <laughs> hey! Let God take certain things away and let people ask you, where did that thing go? How did it leave? Who took it out? Who changed it? They won't be able to explain it except your God. Nothing is permanent. Nothing is permanent. Doctors might call it permanent, but nothing is permanent with God. Nothing cannot be reversed. You understand what I'm saying? But I remember as I was praying for the other woman who was to get a child. Even in her pain, I was saying, thank you, Jesus. And as I kept saying, thank you, this is when the vision came. And let me tell you, every time I'm going to pray for the sick, before that, the thanksgiving is flowing. So when I stand on the altar, the healing is just automatic. Why? Because I'm continually with thanksgiving. There is power in not just applying it when you're in trouble, but learning to live a life of thanksgiving and carry an indelible mark of gratitude and thanksgiving. That attitude should never leave you constantly. You'll be amazed at what you're going to do in this world. Come on, let's give the Lord a mighty help of praise. Come on, clap for Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 He's working all things for you. Even when it feels it has failed. Nah, it's not. Raise your hand and give him thanks and tell him, God, even in this situation, my testimony is coming up. One man sang and said, All things are working for my good. He's intentional, never failing. All things are working for my good. He's intentional, 
never failing I said all things are working for my God He's intentional Never failing Tell him all things He's intentional thanksgiving and this comes with the glory of God like you have never dreamed of nothing working against you will sink you and that is why you give thanks nothing that is set in your household your body your life ministry will God not deal with he's the author and finisher of your faith trust in him continually knowing that even in the darkest places at the end, God will pan something out that is going to change for good. I decree upon every man raising their hands that in whatever you've been tried, may you not far from now give a testimony of the same. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're sick in your body, healing is yours. If you're struggling in any area financially, tonight your deliverance has come. Broken families and relationships are rebuilding now. There's a woman watching me. You have a child dealing with autism. In my life, I've seen children whom God has reversed autistically back to normal. I've seen it. There's one even the doctor has told the mother he'll never talk, he'll never walk, he'll never go to school. He's talking, he's going to school. He's doing everything and he's even in a normal school, not special needs. Receive this healing tonight for your son. And you might not testify immediately, but in a few years, you will go back to this broadcast and say, that was the day my son was delivered. In Jesus' name. Amen. So if you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, you want to be born again tonight, there is no name given among men where men must be saved. The reason why we're preaching all of this is to help you understand that you need Jesus more than you even think. And there's somebody saying, you know what? Today is the day. Let me give my life to Christ. There is no perfect day. There is never perfect weather. The perfection is in the heart of the man who has said, Today I think I am ready to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. So wherever you are, you want to make that prayer with God. Speak these words with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. And everything I have learned today. I give you my heart. I believe that you died for my sins and you were raised for my glory. Today, I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior. Amen. This sermon has been brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number plus 256-200-999-400 or email us at info at You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Follow us on our social media platforms on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at Fenero Ministries International. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our week fellowships at the Uma Upper Gardens from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. and for our Sunday services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. at the Uma Multipurpose Hall. Fenero, make manifest.